0: Mm-hmm. hey hi <laughs> remember us
1: <laughs> do i remember you uh, who are you <laughs> how did i get here uh, this is not my beautiful house
0: you just broke your leg you didn't you didn't get concussed again <laughs>
1: <laughs> be number eight i
0: think <laughs> um so it's been a minute what's up I hope you guys are happy and healthy and enjoyed your summer.
1: I hope I remember how to do this.
0: I know, I'm kind of I'm feeling a little bit like a fish out of water, but you know what? We're on this ride, we're on this wave, we're gonna get through it together. It's gonna be great.
1: It's gonna be fantastic.
0: We have a great theme. I'm so excited about it, so
1: he's fun. Hey babe. Yeah, babe.
0: Remember that time we watched the Rocky Horror Picture Show?
1: You mean the nineteen seventy five musical horror film that is the longest continuous running like screening film of all time
0: that's the one
1: 40 over 40 years it's been running yeah constantly like there's always somewhere technically playing it so it's box office i'm just gonna go ahead and spoil this oh my god 266 million dollars
0: your fave could never
1: <laughs> john carpenter sure should, can't <laughs> oh my
0: god so i'm nicole I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes, I guess. I, if I remember correctly, <laughs> that is who
1: we are, yes.
0: Oh my gosh. And we are here to talk about two of our favorite things on the planet. Yeah. Musicals and horror films. It's true. That's our theme for the month of October. Hail yeet. Our grand welcome back, I suppose. <laughs> I it's we a, had
1: to be as campy as we possibly could when oh, we absolutely. came back. Absolutely,
0: I live for the camp.
1: October's the real pride month.
0: Right. For us, yes. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Freaks gather. You know, it's great. (laughs) Um, So... We'll be doing the normal format, if we can remember what that is. (laughs) Um, So just to give you guys a rundown, just in case this is your first time, I'm sorry if this is your first time. We are in rare form. We are warming up, getting back into it. But that normal format includes Topher running us through who made this thing, shouting out the cast and the crew, and then I will take us through the plot, and then, of course, we will analyze said plot because that's what we're here to do. So without further ado this is like riding a bike i'm learning i'm like yeah you're right back into it without further ado who made this thing
1: bunch of people yeah not john carpenter he was working on i think dark star or sultan tell him yeah, anyway he was he was he was doing something at this time but that was not
0: everything's about john carpenter
1: it is he's my real dad
0: mm, Yeah.
1: <laughs> so this was based on a like musical from the early 70s uh, that was running in London, written by Richard O'Brien, who also stars as Riff Raff. Mm. So, um, he really wanted to put this together, and he was like, wait, I need a director. He goes, aha, I know just the guy. Jim Sharman is our director here. uh, Because they worked together in like experimental theater, but they also had worked on Jesus Christ Superstar and uh, The Unseen Hand together. Mm. They did a few uh, short runs with that, and I love The Unseen Hand. It's a Great Sham Shepherd play, but...
0: Sham Shepard.
1: Did I say Sham Shepard? You did say Sham Shepard. Well, Shepherd. he's not a sham. He's the real deal. Sam Shepard. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, they ended up getting some funding from Fox and threw this little ditty together uh, for, yeah, like I said, about $1.6 million at most. So that is our director. That is our writer. Uh, they wrote the screenplay together, and yeah, um, it's based on the original musical. It stars the unbelievable amazing icon after icon after icon that he's like embodied and created Tim Curry as Mm -hmm. Dr. Frankenfurter a scientist we also have a very young Susan Sarandon as Janet Weiss a heroine Barry Boswick as Brad Majors a hero and I love Barry Boswick I've had a crush on him forever because he was in this little show uh, some people may remember called Spin City Hmm. where he played the mayor of New York with uh, uh, Michael J. Fox as his, like, right-hand man. Hmm. Very funny show. He also did a bunch of stuff with um, in Scrubs because he was, you know, uh, Bill Lawrence created both of those shows. Gotcha. As I said, we have our writer, Richard O'Brien, as Riff Raff, a handyman. Mm-hmm. Patricia Quinn as Magenta, a domestic. Nell Campbell, also, uh, I think she's credited as Little Nell. Yeah. ...as Columbia, a groupie. hmm Jonathan Adams as Dr. Everett V. Scott, a rival scientist. Peter Henwood as Rocky Horror, a creation. Meatloaf as Eddie, ex-delivery boy. <laughs> and Charles Gray as the criminologist, an expert. Mm. I love all of this. All of these people are amazing. This is a lot of fun. Meatloaf had already played Eddie in L.A., Mm. Um, in that production. Um, But Charles Gray was like a very famous actor at the time. He was a big deal. Right. He had played the most iconic uh, Bond villain ever at that time. Okay. He was Ernst Blofeld in multiple films before this came out.
0: (laughs) Good for for him and good for them for getting him on this. Right? He was just like,
1: yeah, I want to do this. And he was just like a fan of experimental work and he was like, let's go. We do have a fun cameo from Richard O'Brien's then-wife as one of the Transylvanians. Uh, Kimmy Wong Hmm. is in this. She's the uh, Eastern Asian woman with the long hair covering her eyes. Right. That's his wife. Nice. Yeah, it's fun. And I also love slash hate that Richard Nixon gets a credit on this. (laughs) Because that's his uh, his, speech that you hear on the radio.
0: Oh, okay. Was him
1: uh, resigning. Oh, for okay. the presidency before he could be fired
0: <laughs> well piece of history i suppose
1: right now would you like to guess who the director of photography was for this film
0: i know you're gonna tell me so no <laughs> 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 i have no guesses <laughs> it
1: was peter Sujitski. do you know why you know peter susitsky well, he went on from this to do a little film you may have heard of and
0: seen once or twice called. Stop being coy. What is never? It?
1: I'm coy. That's my whole character. Oh my god. Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> he then went on to direct almost every single one of David Cronenberg, or to be DP for David Cronenberg's films. Nice. He did Dead Ringers. You know, he did Shopgirl, uh, Dangerous Method, Eastern Promises. Um, The only one he hasn't done, History of Violence, the only one he hasn't done since then is his most recent film, Crimes of the Future. Mm. Yeah, he also shot Mars Attacks, Okay. which I love that movie. It's (laughs) It's very telling of me that the only Tim Burton movies I like are the ones that don't look like Tim Burton movies. (laughs) Our film editing was from uh, Graham Clifford, and our production design was Brian Thompson. Um, But the person I really want to shout out is Sue Blaine our costume designer Mm. i read a few interviews with her and she is so fucking cool uh definitely has a huge ego but i love her for that yeah so even though we they all knew that she was or that this film was like a nod to the hammer films of the past yeah uh which it very much is um, she refused to go back and watch any of those horror films or read any comic books, even though they were the main inspiration for the show, hmm. so that she could have a completely fresh aesthetic to it. Makes sense. And so she went with ripped fishnets, dyed hair, um, like, obviously a certain amount of cross-dressing, things like that, right? Yeah. Um, or, like, uh, fucking with gender uh, expression, I should say. Yeah. Uh, and so she was doing all of that like with the big lipstick and all of that just because she was like I really want to have that be the aesthetic. And so it's like the burgeoning punk scene is doing this. You've got New York Dolls are around at this time. Yeah. Um obviously the Sex Pistols are around but they were less of that. But you had a lot of these like really cool bands at that time that were really starting to play with the idea of what punk was and what gender expression was.
0: It's kind of like punk glam. Like, punk yeah. glamour, in a way. Yeah. That's how I kind of would describe the New York Dolls. I love the New York Dolls, but I lo- oh, yeah, also love the, how they were kind of playing around with, like, you know, wearing, wearing the, like, the eyeliner, the lipstick and stuff that that kind of, you know, evolved into, you know, like, Billy Joe Armstrong in Green Day wearing eyeliner yeah. on his waterline or, like, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I don't know. I think I think that that was a really fun um, look in history, uh, as far as like music goes and the punk scene too, um, because punk is all about rebelling and and that's that's a certain way to rebel is just being like oh your gender norms like fuck that
1: yeah and there was a lot of that early on um, punk and disco being so weirdly intertwined.
0: God, disco is amazing. <laughs>
1: yes, it is. It's a, it was a queer revolution and we fucking love it. Yeah, um, but it was. Uh, it's telling that they also brought in. Um, David Bowie's makeup team. Oh yeah. For this, uh, I have to imagine that's where most of the budget went. <laughs> I know the the measly million dollar 19, budget. Nineteen seventy five David Bowie's team. Jesus Christ, they had they had all the bargaining power. Right. Um, but yeah, so they. So what I love about um, um, Sue Blaine is that she credits herself <laughs> with <laughs> establishing what the punk scene looked like after this.
0: I see where the um, egotistical
1: and you know what in respect obviously false. It's but okay. I, it's okay. I read. <laughs> I read an
0: interview with someone the other day who will not be named. Um, and the question was, where do you find your inspiration? And their only answer was myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I look inside myself, blah, 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 bullshit. I was like, girl, that wasn't the question, and you know it.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, God, it made me sick to my stomach. I was like, shut the fuck up.
1: Judging by your anger, I'm pretty sure I know who it is.
0: No, you, it's it's not even anyone famous. It was oh. just like someone that I was looking up.
1: Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so last couple cool things about this before we jump into some plute. Uh, it was shot at the mansion where a lot of Hammer horror films had been shot. Of course. You got to. It's like the um, stock
0: photo of horror mansions. Yeah.
1: Um, and, weirdly, uh, the only person to this day that's still alive that's mentioned in the film, like the famous actors and actresses in the film, that are now named Lily St. Cyr, is the only one left alive now.
0: Last one standing.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's weird. This is like, uh, this is Peter Henwood's, like, really only job. He did it and decided he didn't want to act anymore, and so he just started running a little shop.
0: Cute. We love to see it.
1: But people would find him and go in, and he would get, like, bashful and, like, kind of like, I didn't, that's not my favorite thing that I've done with my life.
0: <laughs> hmm.
1: He's fine with it, but it's just sort of like this movie like blew everyone in it up. Because it failed initially and then just became an absolute sensation, quite literally overnight, Mm -hmm. in that it was midnight movies. Right. So, yeah, it's just interesting to see that, like, some people love that they were in this movie. Other other people are like, eh, it's fine. And others are like, please don't ask me.
0: (laughs) That is interesting. Yeah. That difference, because I know how I'd feel.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Proud as fuck. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) I'd make my friends watch it at midnight every night.
1: Yeah, <laughs> deal with me. Deal with me. <laughs> uh, that that's enough of me talking for now. Um, you want to tell me what happens?
0: I guess I should. I guess you oughta. Um, so the film uh, opens with just some credits for the main cast. I'm gonna I'm gonna list what songs uh, come up because that's how we follow the structure of a musical. Duh. Facts. Um, sign- Look at her
1: with her musical theater degree.
0: <laughs> oh God um oh, the 4 years that i spent um so then we have science fiction double feature and then there's a criminologist who narrates this tale of the newly engaged Brad and Janet damn it Janet is the song that they sing um they find themselves lost and they have a flat tire it's a cold and rainy night perfect setup for a horror film yep um it's november 1974
1: which and does create a funny little anachronism because they're listening to Nixon's speech on the radio, but he resigned in August. And so people kept asking Richard O'Brien about that. It's like a plot hole thing. And he's like, I don't know. Fuck it. Brad taped it. And he listens to it all the time. There you go. He's a nerd. Problem,
0: problem solved. Yeah. Like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Um, And then just enjoy the movie. Like, God. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Stop um, looking for problems.
0: Right. <laughs> Literally. You made a mistake. Like, well, you're miserable. Yeah, you um, didn't make a fucking movie, asshole. I, literally, you're just sitting at home. I, you made a mistake. I made a movie. <laughs> yeah, I made a movie. Um, what have you done with your life? <laughs> uh, so then seeking, a, they're looking for a telephone. They just need to call someone because they've broken down. Um, they walk to this nearby castle safe. That's where I would choose to walk. Um, totally. Uh, over at the Frankenstein over place. Over
1: at the Frankenstein
0: place. And then they, they're discovering this annual Transylvanian convention where they meet Riff Raff and his French maid sister, Magenta, and then Columbia, our groupie. And that's, this is where we hear the iconic song, Time Warp. And then Dr. Frankenfurter, who is a cross-dressing mad scientist, introduces himself by singing Sweet Transvestite. Oof. And then... What um, a number.
1: Right. Greatest entrance of all time.
0: Which, uh, fun fact, on one of my birthdays, I went to karaoke. Well, on most of my birthdays, I do karaoke. But on this particular one, my, my request was that Topher would sing Sweet Transvestite. And I ended up getting a very, very fun lap dance. Maybe I'll, if I'm feeling frisky, I'll show you all the video. But <laughs> he was wonderful. It was a riveting performance.
1: I did um, play him all through college.
0: And then, uh, so then we're in his lab. They get invited to his lab, which is really fucking cool. It looks straight out of like a David Lynch film. Um, and then Frank claims to have discovered the secret to life itself. And he's bringing the, this creation to life who is a tall, muscular, blonde man named Rocky. Um, and with then, a tan. With a tan. We can't forget that. <laughs> um, and then Rocky sings the sort of Damocles. Damocles. Okay. Um, So then Rocky sings the Sword of Damocles. Which is a fun Um, story.
1: I love the name of that song.
0: And uh, then Frank says that he can improve Rocky into this ideal man in one week singing I Can Make You a Man.
1: Which was an actual Charles, Charles Atlas ad that ran.
0: Not to be confused with I'll Make a Man Out of You from Mulan. Quite different. Um, quite different. Very different <laughs> decades, too. Um, and then Delivery Boy Eddie, uh, half of whose brain Frank used in the creation of Rocky, <laughs> breaks out of this deep freeze riding a motorcycle. He interrupts Frank. This is the perfect entrance for Meatloaf. Um, Just
1: riding a hog.
0: He might as well have been singing Bad Out of Hell. You know what I mean? It's, I,
1: there is a motorcycle in Bad Out of Hell. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm aware. Why do you think I made the connection?
0: God.
1: I think there's a motorcycle in every Meat song.
0: It's required. It's a staple of his um, masculinity. It's, it was, it's his brand. <laughs> it's brand, I guess. Um, and then he he's interrupting Frank, and he, he gets the uh, Transylvanians dancing and singing to Hot Patootie, which he's singing to um, Groupie Columbia. Mm-hmm. And Rocky starts dancing and enjoying the performance, but Frank gets jealous, and he kills Eddie with a pickaxe casual and then frank justifies eddie's murder as a mercy killing to rocky and they go to the bridal suite i can make you a man reprise and then Which is
1: in the, the wedding march yeah
0: yep and then brad and janet are shown to separate bedrooms um, where they're both visited and seduced by frank who poses as brad when visiting janet and then as janet when visiting brad um, each of them they're initially against Having any sort of sex with Frank, they they uh, very quickly relent. Uh, so then Janet. She's Jan- too sexy. Right. I mean, you know. Um, Janet is, is upset about uh, losing her virginity to Frank. She says, I was saving myself. <laughs> like, girl, please. Um, she wanders off to find Brad, who uh, she sees smoking a cigarette in bed with Frank on this, like, video monitor. And she's like, Brad, how could you? And I'm like, bitch, you did the same thing. You did the you same did the goddamn same. thing. You did the same thing. Maybe
1: it's because he's smoking. That's what she's actually oh. upset about.
0: <laughs> I Yeah, I got, that would honestly make a little more sense to me personally, but whatever. Um, and she then discovers Rocky, who's cowering in his birth tank. <laughs> I just love that sentence. I'm sorry. Um, Who's hiding from Riff Raff and Magenta, who were tormenting him.
1: Yeah, they'd sent the dogs after him. They were just, they wanted to fuck with him. They're just evil, mean people.
0: Love it. Love it. Um, and then there, uh, she's tending to his wounds. Janet, who's upset that Brad slept with Frank, which once again, Janet, you did the same damn thing.
1: Seriously, you did it first.
0: Yeah. Decides to become intimate with Rocky as Magenta and Columbia watch from their bedroom monitor. Touch-a-touch-a-touch-a-touch-a-touch a, touch a, touch a, touch a, touch me. Did I say? I think I said too many touches. That's I fine. got too excited. Um, and... After uh, discovering that Rocky is missing, Frank then goes to the lab with Brad and Riff Raff. And then Frank learns that there is this intruder who's entered the building, who's Dr. Everett Scott, <laughs> <laughs> um, who's, it happens to be Janet and Brad's um, science teacher.
1: And they were who they were on their way to see.
0: Yeah. Uh, Dr. Scott now investigates UFOs for the government. Um, and Frank is like, oh, hell no. Um, Dr. Scott explains that he's there to search for his nephew, Eddie, who is dead. Yeah, oops. Ooh, that pickaxe um, had its way with him. And then uh, Dr. Scott assures Frank that his presence at the castle at the same time as Brad is just coincidence and is unrelated to his UFO work.
1: God, I love the way that Brad is like, baby, I would never.
0: Oh, never.
1: Like he's just immediately he like his little whimper face. is like, no, I really didn't. You have to believe me. also fun fact about this scene so with the when he does the electromagnetic thing the crew forgot to build a door he wasn't supposed to burst through a wall oh god but they forgot to build a door so they were like oh well guess we're gonna have him go through the wall that's funny enough and that's why the great scott line was improvised
0: great scott (laughs) and then frank dr scott brad and riff ruff discover janet and rocky together which makes frank and Brad angry. Um, and then at this point, magenta sounds like uh, or sounds the gong to summon everyone to dinner. Pasta
1: dinner is <laughs> God, the this is the funny the, there's so much great about this movie, but that scene where they're all yelling at each other or like saying each other's names, except Rocky is just the is the absolute greatest visual joke. Yeah, because Rocky doesn't speak. And so it's just every time, Rocky, and then he just turns and stares, and it's amazing.
0: <laughs> right. So then they go and they have a very uncomfortable dinner, um, and one of my favorite uh, lines happens in this scene where, um, where uh, doc- I think it's Dr. Scott who asks again for Eddie, and... Um, and Frankenfurter just goes. It's a tender subject, and everyone looks down <laughs> at the meat that they're eating, and they're like, "Oh!" And then Columbia gets uh, so upset and is like, "Eddie, how could you?" Yeah, and like she excuses herself and goes and has like a fit um that's one of my favorite lines though i it's it's, it's just so, so good. it's so good because it's just like you're not even really thinking about what they're eating until he says that and everyone looks down and you're like oh shit <laughs> um so they well the with
1: tim curry and the electric uh oh yeah like <laughs> using it as a shut the fuck up machine
0: <laughs> it's a good one yeah. um and then they... So they realize that uh, the meat has been prepared from Eddie's mutilated remains, um, the song Eddie. And then uh, Janet runs screaming into Rocky's arms, provoking Frank to chase her through the halls. Planet shman Janet um, is the song. And then Janet, Brad, Dr. Scott, Rocky, and Columbia, they all meet in Frank's lab where he captures them with the Medusa transducer, which is awesome. They yes. literally just turn into like nude statues, just like Medusa um and they it, it's the song planet hot dog and then after dressing a
1: hot dog
0: and then they just <laughs> ugh, they just freeze um and then after dressing them in cabaret costumes uh frank unfreezes them and they perform this live cabaret floor show um, complete with this tower and a swimming pool, and Frank is the leader. Rose tint my world. Don't dream it, be it, and wild and untamed thing songs. Um, and yeah, then always referred
1: to—that's always referred to as the floor show. As yeah, like just the floor. Those show. three songs. It's eight minutes of song yes. that doesn't stop.
0: Yes. And then Riff Raff and Magenta, they're now in this like new space cadet attire and hairdos. Um, Riff Raff no longer has his um, Hunchback of Notre Dame look. (laughs) His Igor. His Quasimodo (laughs) moment. Um, He's standing upright. Um, And then they interrupt the performance. They tell Frank that he has failed their mission and that Riff Raff declares himself commander. And Frank attempts to explain himself, believing he'll be taken as a prisoner. I'm going home is the song. And then Riffraff kills both of them, uh, or both him and Columbia, using a pitchfork-shaped ray gun. And then Rocky is pissed. He gathers uh, Frank's corpse in his arms, climbs to the top of the tower, and um, and and then uh, plunges to his death in the pool below and then riffraff and magenta say that they'll be returning to their home planet transsexual in the galaxy of transylvania warning brad janet and dr scott to leave immediately before the castle lifts off into space and then the injured survivors are there left crawling in the smog and dirt and the narrator concludes that the human race is equivalent to insects crawling on the planet's surface lost in time and lost in space and meaning. And then there are two songs that play as the film ends with the final credits rolling, superheroes, and then science fiction double feature, reprise. Yup. Done and
1: dusted. I love the last 40 seconds of this movie are just the reprise playing over black, uh, black screen. Yes. Like, they go through the entire credits and they just let the song play out, which I think is great, because that is how you would do it as on a stage, right?
0: Yeah, this, this movie definitely, it, it it translates both ways really well. Um, this is definitely a really great example of a movie musical yeah. in general.
1: I guess I should say we're transferring into analysis now. <laughs> I just jumped straight in. Sorry.
0: <laughs> it was smooth until you until you uh, blah, blah, uh, blah. commented on it.
1: Yeah. Well. <laughs> so no, this is this is such a great movie musical. I think this is exactly how you shoot one. Like to me, this is. So there, this is my third favorite movie musical of all time.
0: Mm.
1: West Side Story, the original, and then uh, Fiddler on the Roof, mm. and then this. And they're all kind of circulated around each other. Now, of course, In the Heights is up there, um, but it's it's too new for me. It's got the recency bias, you know? I'm sure it'll hold up, and I do want to compare this and that. Actually, I'll other than um, fiddler, the other ones understand the dynamism of what you need
0: in the in the heights is definitely in my top five my um my two favorites are um west Side story, like you said, and Hedwig and the angry inch
1: also a great one. yeah, yeah. Um, that would round up my top. I think we have the same top five, other yeah. than Fiddler. Maybe well, there, it's
0: it, the issue is there. Are so there, there are so few that are actually done really skillfully. I think. Um, I think sometimes. I don't know. I think. I think it's really a really difficult thing to achieve. Um, so I commend people for trying, but I think that a lot of times, it's. If the if the musical doesn't fully lend itself to a movie format, or if someone just doesn't get like creative enough, because you can do a lot more with a movie set than you can just like with a live show, yeah. um, just in different ways. Like like they they're both awesome mediums, obviously. But um, I think that there's definitely a certain nuance that you also have to find with the acting. Um, it's oh for just, sure, it's, it's
1: different. than It's standard challenging music. Yeah.
0: on every level because you either have to lean into the camp. This is why, um, like, I'm not super fond of the um, of hairspray going from being a movie to a musical back to like a movie musical thing, like the one with like Zac Efron. And yeah. I thought it was good. I thought it was really well done as far as like a movie musical goes. But it's
1: solid. Yeah,
0: it's because it 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 lent itself to that medium. You have to either lean into the camp of it, which is something that Hedwig does really well, leans into the camp, but again, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and then West Side Story is just heartbreaking for the most God, point. I'm but it, but since it's already a Romeo and Juliet structure, it lends really well dramatically, just in general, to that type of medium. Yeah. So it's just it's a universal story um, that we all understand, and we're all on the ride with it. If you're not already on the ride, it, just like Rocky Horror, it's it's an out there story. Oh, like, yeah. Up and down, left and right. It's just out there.
1: It's nonsense in, a, in the best way. Like, and it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be absurdist, like, commentary on... But, like, with made with love.
0: It invites the audience from the very beginning to join in on the camp. And that's what's made it so successful. I mean, that's why... I, I'm I'm guilty of never actually going to like one of the showings where everyone dresses up and you know um, aren't there certain parts in the movie where where people are oh, do was things? doing them last night so um, like
1: you so like yeah, give me some you, examples of those so cause whenever, I've never participated yeah. so whenever you see the criminologist you yell that man has no neck
0: oh <laughs> um, who made these who came up that's mean
1: it's it, it started because it was a bunch of punks like literal like punk kids. I sound like a fucking geriatric asshole right now, but I, I, I was in the punk scene, and this is where I got introduced to Rocky Horror because it has stayed in the punk scene for so long.
0: So what's another one other than um, saying so, this man has no neck? No- <laughs> so you throw mean. rice
1: at the screen when... Uh, the the at marriage. The, at, the, at the marriage. Yeah. Um, you throw toast at the screen when uh, when Frank says, A
0: toast! Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, now, fans are split on that because... A lot of fans think that you the boat the toast should be buttered, um. But movie theaters don't like that because it makes a mess. <laughs> um, like you, whenever the Transylvanians like do are cheering in the gallery, they have you use noisemakers and like hoot and holler.
0: Don't you uh, yell um, something about Janet?
1: Yeah, you yell. Uh, you yell slut and virgin for Janet and Brad.
0: That's right. Okay. Yeah. Got
1: it. Um, that one gets exhausting. <laughs> um I, I that one I'm just like, oh my God. Um, at the beginning of every showing, there's uh, you have some sort of embarrassing like induction ceremony for versions. Mm. Like not not whether or not you've had sex, but rather I, if you're I new got to the, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you're new to it, so like uh, there was one time, so we did this in my college every year. We had a screening at our black box every Halloween.
0: okay.
1: Um, with a full floor show. Uh, and a lot of times we would, uh, we did it a few times like this where you we would actually be singing the parts, not the film. Yeah. So I said, like I said earlier, I played Frankenfurger for four years through college. Right. Because I was tall, f- furry, and tall, hot. Tall, furry. And I didn't need a wig because my hair was already curly. Right. Um, and I have fantastic legs. Um, Facts. But I, so like one year we had, um, you had you, we would always have people in twos right so one year we had um, all the virgins put a banana between their legs and the other the other or half the virgins do that and the other half had to uh, peel it with their mouth and eat it got it so yeah it's it's always sexual in nature of course I um, mean and better showings re- are like you don't actually have to do this if you feel uncomfortable but it's part of the culture the consent <laughs> it's key
0: <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty fun though yeah um, I would love to do that at some point in my life. Um, I yeah, probably will lie about being a virgin because I don't want to do any of that, but... Um, <laughs> oh, I will
1: out you. Don't worry.
0: That's mean. And um, yet. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so, yeah,
1: there's a lot of fun stuff like that. And so you... Yeah, it, it, like it, it's the getting involved in the culture of it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so back to talking about it as a movie musical.
0: <laughs> right.
1: It... I, the, the films we're talking about all have dynamism to them. That's yeah. the word I always want to come back to. Like, they're very dynamic films.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, granted, they're all shot by fucking incredible people and choreographed by incredible people. Fuck, West Side Story won an Oscar. Of
0: course, For yeah. uh, Be Cool. Yeah.
1: So, and like, Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins understood that you, even though you're, you're building a set. Yeah. Like you would in a play. And it looks like it. Yeah, but it's bright. It's vibrant. It's it, it it's it feels dynamic. These are matte paintings that are not hiding the fact that they're matte paintings. Yeah, and yet you still feel the reality of that movie. And it's because of fast camera movement, whip pans, interesting color theory, all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, which this hasn't co- it has in common with this. Like, uh, this is only 14 years after that, by the way. Yeah. But Jim Sharman and Peter Szydski did a great job designing the color theory of this film. Yeah. When we're in the lab, it's white, it's sterile, but there's big colors in the lab. Yeah. Right? There's Rocky's tank and the rainbow of fluids. It's supposed to be a rainbow. They're in sequence. Mm hmm. Um, which is very funny because they were, uh, Tim Curry. Was having someone was yelling which color he had to put in next each time because he did it live on set. Yeah, obviously, and so there's a moment where he looks really confused, and it's because they he they fucked up or he couldn't hear them, and so he's like uh 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 and like grabs it.
0: (laughs) Speaking of um, speaking of Tim Curry, I just want to say how much of a temperature changing performance he's given in this yeah like uh, like cultural reset I don't even know the other words I want to use to describe this like it's every little tiny detail in beat is full and it's so magical to watch how he just completely embodied the entire world He could have been literally doing this in a black box. No castle, no laboratory, and I would have been fully on board. He could have been in a white, insane asylum doing this, and I would have been on board with the entire thing. Yeah. He embodied the entire movie while also playing it moment to moment, beat to beat, and that is the sign of an incredible... Actor.
1: He's his performance is amongst the most powerful I've ever seen because he goes from his entrance, right, sexy as hell. You are turned the fuck on and a little scared, right? You're scared. <laughs> you're scare roused.
0: <laughs> scare roused, as I Fry would
1: say from Futurama. Right. Um, my favorite word in the world is scare roused.
0: <laughs> it's a thing. I'm glad it that there's really a is. word for it. Yeah. It's a thing.
1: Thank you to the writers of Futurama for that one. Yeah. Um, no, so you start off scare-roused, yeah, and then you go to okay. Well, now I fear him, but he's less sexy and more like manipulative. You start to hate him a little bit.
0: Yeah, he's he's your he's your evil evil scientist. Yeah, yeah.
1: but he's also sexually manipulative and um, physically abusive, and all of these things, right? Yeah. But then you get to I'm going. Well, you get to the floor show in general, and you see that like. He doesn't care about this mission that they're supposed to be on, right? Yeah. He it's it's like he's someone who was given who who had to live this life that he was told was the correct life to live. And once he was free and out from under supervision, he just starts living. Yeah. He's just doing things. It's like a it's like when you go to college and you're like, "Oh, I can just do what the fuck I want." Now that can end up being self-destructive as it does in Frank's case. Yeah. In a lot of our cases, but it's so. It's the most human character in the movie.
0: Which is kind of funny because the whole time there's this whole like. um, They're from a different planet. It's, you know, UFOs. Like this whole. They're literally aliens. They're literally aliens. Um, Who knows what, you know, like they're posing as humans, sort of thing. Um, And it definitely. I think it definitely speaks to the queer community in that way where and it's it's an interesting elevated version of that where like us as humans have gone through our own history with you know LGBTQ i yeah. plus like that whole you know acceptance and not even just acceptance but also like embracing that uh, so it's 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 interesting, and I think the reason maybe why it went over people's heads or it you know bombed initially was because it was ahead of its time. You're you're seeing like these UFOs, literally like things that yeah. like we be, the because, mansion
1: is a fucking rocket ship.
0: So it's, so it's a little bit nuanced here because a lot of I think the a lot of the reason why people uh, discriminate is is based in fear. It's yeah. based in fear of, like, the unknown. You're different, right? And we just, as, like, a society, have kind of thought humans, UFOs, couldn't be more different, right? Like, we've, like exactly. we're like we afraid yeah. of them. You know, we've, we've seen all of these different depictions, and, you know, like, it's the unknown. So it's kind of a little bit, it's like it's interesting and nuanced to see that, you know, a UFO can also feel those very human things of, you know, jealousy of not being accepted of wanting something different from their lives than what they've been brought up to do or what their quote unquote mission is, you know? So yeah. like, I don't know. I think it was, I think that's a, that's a message that you can certainly enjoy this movie without even thinking about that and dissecting it like this. But I think it makes it a little, go a little bit deeper and, it has this kind of like undercurrent of like a message that's underneath all of the campiness that if you're looking for it, you can really find something of value in there where um, like you were saying, Frankenfurter was finally able to just like live Yeah. and it became self-destructive in the end, but that's also kind of like a cautionary tale in itself. Like it's kind of like embrace who people or UFOs are, you know, (laughs) like whatever it may be embrace who they are and then they'll be able to thrive and flourish and not, Become self destructive because they've had too much of one thing, but they're wanting the other, and it becomes this all consuming thing. Yeah.
1: And think about what this this of of its time, right? This is a, this is a movie of its yeah. time and a, a play of its time, um, because when you look at the queer community at this time, this is just post Stonewall. Yeah, this is not long after stone the Stonewall riots, right or uprising. This is. Before queerness is accepted in mainstream to the degree that it even is today, but far more so, this was telling the story of what it is to be queer, um, and a lot of it I think comes out of the cast, particularly Richard O'Brien, who wrote it, right? Yeah. Um. He he's made some knuckleheaded comments about uh, gender, mm-hmm. but they're not as. This is this is me saying this, so I'm not gonna. This is my own personal opinion. Blah blah blah, but. They're not as rough as they're made out to be. You know, he's not um, he's not J.K. Rowling out here being a turf, Right. Or right. Uh, uh, he's been compared to Jermaine Greer, mm-hmm. who, fuck her. She's awful. Mm-hmm. Like, she did some great feminist work in the 70s and stuff and up to the like, early 90s. But he she, or she uh, is super anti-trans okay. um, and just is an absolute asshole. Uh, but O'Brien has actually called himself. He's like he doesn't understand. He, he's always struggled with his own gender. Okay. And he does use he him pronouns, but he's he just has described himself as being transgender or third gender or outside gender. Um, he had used estrogen for a while for like a, for like ten years, and his his comments were. I'm going to read the quote from him. I think anybody who decides to take the huge step with a sex change deserves encouragement and a thumbs up. As long as they're happy and fulfilled, I applaud them to my very last day. But you can't ever become a natural woman. And it's, he doesn't need to say the but there. Yeah. Everything up till then. Great. It
0: was great until that final Really sentence. had to go into
1: the first half, bud.
0: Trans women are women. Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: um, and I understand like he's talking about natural woman. And he's saying this as someone who has dealt with that. But he doesn't think it's like a mental illness. He doesn't think there's anything wrong with it. Right. So he's... this is
0: kind of one of those gray areas, I guess, where he clearly still has a lot more to learn and I'm hoping that he's open to that. It's it's like those people who are like you you're almost there. You're like you dancing so around the yeah. point. You're almost there. Um so I don't know. I'm 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 hoping I'm I'm hoping that he's open to learning um that yeah. Final little piece of information that and like you're almost yeah. there, buddy. <laughs>
1: and he's he's generally considered like he definitely that's that's not an okay thing to say, right? That is trans. Absolutely not. That
0: is that is fucked up to say that. Uh,
1: yes. That being said, it is amongst the horrible things people say about trans people daily.
0: Right. That's why I'm that's why I'm saying like like don't And
1: that he himself is a member of the community. That's where I'm like okay, That's why I'm saying I, like don't cancel him.
0: I think that there's promise there there's 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 the ability to grow there yeah I, like they're not he's not like double downing on 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 something it's i don't know i yeah, i, I think you. that i think that that's one of those gray areas where where uh
1: it's a teachable moment as it's opposed a teachable
0: to a, moment as opposed to just saying like nope you're done you're canceled yeah.
1: um but no i so what i was saying is that i think the the the, oh, gonna, I get to use my favorite word again.
0: Oh, God. What is it? Actually,
1: it's not verisimilitude. I was going to use my favorite word, but I just decided I wanted to say it anyway. Okay. Um, no, it is like, what makes it feel true to life. Um, right. What, where it works is like allegory is because of the queerness of the of the cast, the crew, the writer himself, you know, all of that. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: Susan Sarandon is queer. No one knows if Tim Curry is because he doesn't talk about his personal life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is fair. Uh, Barry Boswick has been hand in hand with the queer community for a very long time, to the point that it would not be surprising if he were right. So you look at all of this and you go, okay, yeah, that's that's queerness, uh, yeah. and that's why it feels correct. But yeah, I love it as a as, as this like coming out journey, and then it ends in tragedy, much like Hedwig does. You know, it's yeah. You finally get away from your oppressive. Uh, Situation
0: exactly, yeah, it may be.
1: yeah, and then you get to live your truth for a while, and then it's gone, and he's literally killed in the end, yeah. Uh, and a very wonderful nod to King Kong,
0: right? Yeah, um,
1: down to the airplane sounds and everything. But god, I this movie just takes such a turn during the floor show because it's like can't be ridiculous, wild and untamed thing is the hardest fucking song to sing. I hated singing that song. <laughs> it was out of breath every single time <laughs> all of the press support in the world couldn't help me with that one um but then you switch to i'm going home and he sings a song and he whole he smears his makeup and it's just like fuck me yeah and then when he realizes that they're gonna kill him yeah and he starts trying to climb the the transom yeah or the uh tower thing curtain sorry yeah. scrim that's what i was thinking of yeah, he starts trying to cr- try he's climbing the scrim and he's just killed at the top of it and falls and it's Magenta even has a moment of humanity like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah. He liked you and that's when Riff Raff just goes off.
0: Yeah.
1: And of course, Dr. Scott being the Nazi that he is is like, "Yes, take him away because the Nazis were the first one like the first thing they did was burn when they were burning books." They burned a very specific set of books and it was all about trans identity and gender identity and all of that. Mm-hmm. Those are the first books they burned. Yeah. That's a, so this, this movie's smart. It really, really is. It's really fucking and, clever.
0: And what makes it a really great movie is that it's not, while it's smart, it's not pregnant. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not. Like it's it. not, it's not, <laughs> it's not Gergnard. Um, it's not like, it's not in your face about it. Like I truly feel like just about anybody, whatever level you're wanting to look at a film at, will enjoy this movie. Like there are some movies where I'm just like, "Ooh, why are you just like you're you're saying I'm smart, I'm smart, I'm smart. This is a smart choice. This is a smart script." I'm like, "Okay, it doesn't insist
1: on itself." I'm like,
0: "Okay, yeah. I'm like, "Okay, fine. Great, but I don't I'm not having fun watching it." Yeah. This is something that embodies it, having fun and in such a in such an out there way. Like, this movie is creative. It is smart. It is of its time, but also beyond its time with the method of the message.
1: Yeah, I mean. The okay. message,
0: I think, is of its time. I think the method of the message is a little ahead of its time because it's a little mm-hmm. more nuanced. Yeah. Um, and I think that that might have been kind of where there was a little bit of like, it bombed at first, but then people were like, oh, no, wait, I get it now. Mm-hmm. I, and, and I'm really into that. People this.
1: feeling seen.
0: Yeah, wow. representation. That... Oh, God. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, no, I have... I I mean, I have a couple of uh, non-binary trans um, friends in my life who... Uh, Frankenfurter was, was a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Frankenfurter and Hedwig, just being able to see yourself on a screen is huge. I mean, obviously, it's something we've been, you know... Um, unfortunately, only recently really been <laughs> kind of like talking about this, but it's so... It is really so important for human beings, and I suppose in the in the vein of this movie, Aliens too, to not feel alone. It is such a human desire to feel recognized and to feel to to feel seen, and I think that that is a huge message in this film mm-hmm. that you can either choose to get. Or you can choose just to watch it and sing along. (laughs) Like, you know? Yeah. That's what's kind of so successful about it, I think, is that it has something for everyone, any entry of film that you are at, you know?
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I, so down to the transgression, like the transgression even exists in the songs, right? In the music, in the musicality of it. There's some weird musical choices in it that are really cool like um, some of the harmonies are like you wouldn't, that's not what you would do in musical theater, right? So during um, Frankenstein Place yeah, uh, Brad and Janet's duet, right? There's a, their intervals aren't necessarily what you would expect them to be and they flip over and under each other in a cool way, which makes a really awesome harmony, but it's not how you would do musical theater. It's how you do music a lot of times, but it's not how you do musical theater.
0: Yeah, and what's interesting about this being a musical movie is that Aside from a couple of songs, um, I actually think that the music is, is one of the lesser interesting parts about this. In comparison to the story, the way that it was filmed, the way that it's costumed and, and, and you've got the makeup and hair and everything and just the overall message, I think it's a good thing that the music doesn't convolute that. Like, I wouldn't, aside from maybe like, you know, time warp and then of course you've got tacha 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 me uh, or whatever...
1: <laughs> Touch a touch I can't a, touch get a touch it. Me. I can't
0: get that right.
1: Three touches, one touch me.
0: Touch a touch a touch a touch me.
1: I wanna be dirty.
0: Exactly. You know, like and, and, and there are certain there are certain moments, of course, but I think that it's not something that I would like throw on my Spotify and like listen to. Oh,
1: see, I listen to it all the time.
0: It's and and it's just like difference of opinion. And I totally. think, I think you also have like an emotional connection to it, Very a, a nostalgic so. connection to it. I don't. It's been a
1: part of my life for over half my life.
0: So I just think I think also in comparison to other like musicals, it doesn't feel like the music is the forefront here, which is fine. Yeah. It's more, even though they sing more than they speak. Mm-hmm. But I think that like that is totally fine because the message is so strong that you don't really need the music to distract you from it. It enhances it. Yeah. And, and so I, I don't know. I think it's, I'm, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people who disagree with me. I'm sure there are a lot of people who are like, no, every single song is a banger. But I, I don't know. It For me, it's always been, because when I first watched it, I was like, I was like, okay the the singing is subpar and aside from um, Tim Curry, I was like, the singing is subpar the uh, the acting's pretty good though I and the songs are meh. so it didn't grab me at first. but then when I watched it a second, a third time, I was like, okay, I'm understanding it now I'm getting it it just didn't grab me in that way because totally. I am a little bit more like musically oriented and I also I'm a snobby singer and I like to hear good voices <laughs> which is interesting about Susan Sarandon I we 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 caught this um brief uh clip from a from a interview with um Variety I think it was Variety um yeah. with Susan Sarandon she was talking about her experience filming um the Rocky Horror Picture Show and um she said that you know the the director was like come in and read for janet and she goes oh i can't sing i can't sing which is true her voice is pretty excruciating (laughs) which Um, i think is perfect no it it works it's 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 great it's fine but i but sorry but i'm just saying as a fact it is pretty (laughs) it's pretty excruciating um but and he was just like no just come in come in and she was like she was like, "Okay, I you know, she was like I figured that they would, you know, give me drinks or like, you know, alcohol or, drugs. or drugs, but <laughs> but they didn't." And, and then um and then she said that she uh she got on set and oh oh they so the actresses that they had auditioned were really good singers, but no nobody they they hadn't found anyone like funny enough to play Janet, and I love the idea of Janet kind of being this comedic character who's kind of like this over overdone ingenue but kind of like a a caricature of an ingenue where like, you know, she faints like 20
1: times, (laughs) three times in a row during sweet transvestite. Yeah. Like, and so,
0: and Susan Sarandon was like, it was kind of like the culmination of all the ingenues that I had played where they're very sweet on the outside, but kind of a bitch on the inside. And, um, she was like, that's was what, you know, she was like, that's what I brought to Janet. And, um, And Susan Sarandon is funny. She has a very nuanced sense of humor where she just says things very plainly and they're outrageous like even in this interview she was like so I mean the budget was only like a million dollars and so you know we were barely clothed and we were wet the whole time so I got pneumonia like and she just keeps going with the story and you're like hold on you were expecting them to give you alcohol and drugs but they didn't you got pneumonia because you were barely clothed it was so cold because they had no budget and then she just continues on to say that they had this like one heater that they would allow the actors to like huddle around that was like I guess in Closed by like these panels That caught on fire And then her trailer (laughs) caught on fire And she had nowhere to live So they were moving her around like every couple of weeks And she was like And you know this is the time where you would call your agent And talk to them about about it And you know see what they could do But she was like at the time my agents weren't responsive to me So she just was like It is what it is She's just got this like really dry sense of humor Yeah That I absolutely love that you would miss it if you weren't in tune with what she's actually saying and I love that type of sense of humor um and I I think that's what she brought to the role and I think that that's what made it honestly so successful despite her having a very abrasive singing voice
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I think the idea of her being abrasive plays so well into Janet's character Right, yeah. her having this sort of almost nails on a chalkboard falsetto, yeah, sounding voice uh, plays really really, really well, um and I think this is a as good a time as any to bring it up, and I think it's the right time because I said so, so a lot of people think that subtlety is the enemy of camp, but I think it's you can't have camp without subtlety,
0: oh, agreed, you can't. You, yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to appreciate the camp
1: without the subtlety. And camp needs layers. Like camp is a, that's why it's so hard to do it. Camp's not yeah. being over the top. That's not what it's not being extra. Camp it's, is commentary.
0: It's adding on to yeah, it. Yeah. It's
1: this like almost pantomime version of commentary. Yeah. But it needs to be studied, learned or learned. Learned. Uh, <laughs> it needs so much of this like basis and like uh um it needs, a, it needs the history behind it. And that's what I love about how Richard O'Brien wrote this.
0: I mean, because look at... Yeah, Look sorry. at the
1: song Sword of Damocles. That is a fucking... That's a Greek myth about a king who uh, supposedly hung a... Uh, see, he hung a sword on a, a thin piece of like hair over his head. Yeah. And uh, the story goes... I'm, I'm going to get a little bit of this wrong, but I'm going roughly from memory here. So... The story goes that someone kept bugging, like someone's like, "I should be king. I should be king. I should be king. You're a terrible king. Why are you never? Why do you never make decisions? Why are you always blah blah, blah blah blah?" You, I make a better king than you. And he goes, "Fine, sit in the throne." Yeah. Now look up. Right. And the story is is that like, as king, it is my job to wield power responsibly. Yeah. Knowing that at any minute my life could end. It is always under threat, but I don't fear assassins. I did this to my... It's a very like, interesting thing, but yeah. It's like, no, I sit under this every day, making decisions for this kingdom, knowing that at any moment it could snap and I could be gone. And I need to know that the decisions I make, I'm comfortable with. And it's that sort of thing. So it's about wielding power responsibly. Then you, so now, okay, we've got that bit of like nerdy layer to it. You add on to that, Rocky, Rocky has no responsibility with his power. Why? Because he doesn't know anything. He's a dumb, he's a dumb idiot with half a fucking brain—literally L- half a brain. And he was He's just a muscle man. He
0: was essentially just born.
1: Yeah, he's, he's a, baby. a Barbie doll. Yeah, he's—he's—he's he's, uh, he's a great twist on the born sexy yesterday trope. Yeah. Um. So he has all this power. He's a strong, ripping man, but he has no idea what he's doing. Yeah, He has no idea. And Frank didn't wield his power responsibly, didn't teach him. Just brought him to a party and said, hey everybody, look, I made a sexy man, I'm gonna fuck him.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean at the very... to 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 bring up something just a little bit more I don't know, I guess like straightforward as far as like an example of how to identify camp and how nuanced it is. Think about like you know, like, the, the Met Gala did their, like, camp. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people missed the mark. Oh,
1: almost everybody. By far. Almost everyone. But
0: that, that should say something. That says that even though people with all of the resources in mm-hmm. the world can miss the mark, like, it's a very nuanced thing. It's one of those things where, like, you know, you look at an outfit and you're, like, you look at an outfit and then you immediately question, is that ugly or is it camp? Yeah. Because it's so nuanced, it's maybe not appealing aesthetically to the eye at first. And then you kind of think about it and you're like, oh, actually, the way that those patterns and those colors mix together and the textures of that actually kind of all work in a weird way that I can't describe. So we only we only can uh, because as humans, we like language Mm -hmm. camp. Right? Yeah. So it's such a nuanced thing when I think a lot of... But I think a lot of people have just kind of like brushed it aside. Which again, I think fashion is a really great marker to know because it's a very tangible way to like look at something sure. and say, you know, is that camp or is it not? And again, Met Gala, so many people missed the mark who have all the resources in the entire world. That mm-hmm. says something about think, that genre. Well,
1: it's I think it's camp's born out of marginalization.
0: That too that's a very uh, that's good point That's where it comes from that's like, a very good point
1: um which is why it's trans like we marginalized people use transgression as a dialect
0: that is the point of the podcast yes that is that is a really good point um we talked that about, point. we've talked
1: about it before yeah yeah and it's it yeah camp has to have subtlety if it doesn't have subtlety it's just loud right yeah you just look it like needs, a clown yeah <laughs> um but camp has to undermine and do interesting things and blah, blah, blah. And so, like, it, it it's all this cool stuff that goes into it.
0: That's why the, it goes so well with The nuance of punk. Frank's
1: character. Yeah.
0: That's why it pairs so well with punk, because that energy is somehow very different, but very similar.
1: Yeah. And punk is punk is camp that refutes or refuses nuance. Right. Yeah. Because it is simple.
0: <laughs> sentence. <laughs> Sorry, <I'm> just, <laughs> it's sentence. Sorry.
1: that's good. Um, but no, it's like, it, punk's really hard to define, but in, at least in this era. So is camp. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's three chords, a minute and a half song, just yelling, violent.
0: And punk has always feel. been more about an environment than... Like the music itself.
1: Oh yeah, because Debbie Harry's punk, but so is Johnny Cash, and so are so is a band called Death, and so is fucking uh, Devo. And yeah. then it becomes new wave. Like yeah, there's all this kinds of like punk is one of the older genres, and is just...
0: punk is an attitude.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's at very least a vibe, but yeah. I think camp is a part of punk. I think it always will be. Yeah, because it is so performative.
0: Exactly. and that's why that's why this works so well. This is kind of like a franken Frankenfurter circus. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's putting on a he circus. he literally puts
1: on a circus show. The literally. floor show is a is an eight minute long campy set of musical numbers, but there's no explanation of why they're there and he just wanted to do it. and so it's he did just
0: it. it's 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 the whole thing. The whole thing is just a circus, and that's really fun to watch.
1: Yeah. Even down to, like, and, like, the campiness and the nuance are, again, they're, they have to go hand in hand. Uh, from the opening sequence, um, science fiction double feature, those are Patricia Quinn's lips, Magenta's lips with Richard O'Brien's voice, and he's singing in a falsetto. Yep. And the whole idea is to start you off in this confusion. It's priming the pump, right? Right.
0: Yeah, which is which is is definitely needed for this. Um, so I I th- I want to transition now into our um, kind of like final point here. Yeah, I and that final point is the argument that this qualifies as not only a movie musical because that's very straightforward, but also a horror film.
1: Oh, I think it's kind of unquestionable. Like just down to it being homage to horror, but having a classic like Hammer film horror plot.
0: And we've talked so much about camp and horror, how yeah. that's such a strong subgenre here that this absolutely falls under. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to make that point here, since we have totally. talked about a lot about the musicality and the and, and it being, you know, such a successful musical. But why is it, you know, a successful horror film?
1: Yeah. So so it's a horror film because it is it, it, it is because it follows the plot almost. You know, like this isn't a horror or not episode. We'll do one later this month, but to get into, like, the small details of it, it follows... It is exactly the, like, kind of plot from science fiction horror films... Yeah. ...of the... From the 30s through the 50s and 60s. The camp is
0: just amped up. Like, again, if you you were to write, like, a five-sentence plot summary of this, you'd be like, this is a horror film. Mm -hmm. A couple gets... You know, their car breaks down. They land upon a spooky castle with aliens inside... Already, you're setting this up for...
1: Or at least really strange folks who are doing odd things. Sure, you know? yeah. And it's scary, and a man brings another man back from the dead, or, like, br- gives and a man life. And then kills
0: a man with a pickaxe and yeah. takes his brain and puts it inside of this Frankenstein that he's made, right? Yeah. Like, there are a lot of different he elements serves that- everybody.
1: He serves everybody human flesh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, like do I do I think you're gonna shit your pants watching this? No, this no, but isn't horror so broad. But like it's that. yeah, exactly. It's it's you know you well you might shit your pants. I don't know. I'm not trying to put that on anybody, but um, uh, you might shit your pants because it's so good. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 I definitely it, it it's it's unquestionable that this is a horror film. Exactly. He makes he makes everyone eat. The, the man who he killed in front of everyone's flesh yeah. like that's no matter how you deliver that that on a piece of paper is horror right mm-hmm. there i don't care how you deliver it if you deliver it in a very serious way like um what was that movie we watched fresh yeah fresh. you can you the, where the man fresh was fresh
1: and raw and we yeah. had a
0: we had a cannibalism moment here. it's going off right now it's going off um
1: but yeah, Sebastian Stan Yes, yes, people, that's what I was talking or not eat, about. Yeah, eating people and sinning food. You can
0: present yeah. it in that way or you can present it with music.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like we talked about Raw. Um, we really need to cover her follow-up film to 10. But um, yeah, Raw, it's about getting the uh, your curses that you now like human meat. Yep. Uh, you got to eat human flesh. Uh-oh. Uh, I know,
0: we really had a moment with Cannibal. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> We
1: had a we had a moment with that, didn't we? Accidental themes. Accidental
0: themes. But yeah, I mean if if you can you can present that in so many different ways. And mm-hmm. I would argue that Sebastian Stan had his own castle in oh, yeah, in Raw. You know what I mean? He yeah, had a dungeon. That's yeah. where he kept all the ladies. All the ladies. Yikes. That movie was terrifying. That one you'll shit your pants for sure. Um yeah. in in the way that you'll be so fucking scared. Uh but yeah, I I think that that was really just the final kind of little bow I wanted to tie on. Yeah, this I mean, it's episode. also just the
1: references are so fun. Obviously, there's the King Kong reference.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: there, which is a horror film too. There's
0: Frankenstein.
1: Yeah, well, and it's literally the um, Rocky's body in mm-hmm. the tank is from Curse of Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, Magenta's wig or her hair in the final sequence is Bride of Frankenstein.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: There's all all these references to science fiction. And horror films, you know these penny, uh, penny novels and all that shit. But like, yeah, even down to the set being used in multiple Hammer films, and like it being a love letter to all of those. We could talk about love letters to like we talked about uh, uh, Jordan Peele doing love letters to John Carpenter, right? Yeah. Like Get Out is a love letter to John Carpenter. That's still a horror film. Yeah. Up and down so this is it, like it, that, that doesn't exclude it you know what I mean that's what yeah. I'm trying to get at is that homage doesn't mean it isn't also a member of the genre yeah um, fuck Sam Raimi does it all the goddamn time exactly <laughs> so yeah that's I think it. that's that's my uh, that's my take I love that so it was funny I was introduced to it as a like a oh watch this movie it's so crazy you won't even believe it like it's so like weird and like it doesn't make any sense but it's fun and I was watching it and I'm like I hope this doesn't awaken anything <laughs> <laughs> whoops
0: for me <laughs> four
1: years later he starts playing Frankenberger for
0: me it was a huge um, blind spot for a long time yeah I didn't see it I mean I think it was just like I, I didn't I didn't watch it as a kid like it just wasn't introduced to me I always knew it was around right. but it just wasn't I don't know it just wasn't introduced to me until I was like an adult and watched it and again it kind of you know I was kind of like yeah it's all right And then after viewing it a couple more times, I kind of, you know, I noticed something different every single time I watch it. And that's something that I immensely respect about any sort of filmmaking.
1: Well, one of your first introductions to it was the terrible live live remake, right?
0: Yeah. um, That
1: was so bad. So many talented, talented people in there.
0: Yeah. I don't even really want to talk about that one. Fair Um, enough. It was... It wasn't wasn't that great. But just
1: actors I love all over it. Singers I love all over it. Nope. It's by hand.
0: Yeah, I just it, it lacked it lacked a lot. They um,
1: also refused to hire Jack Black for some godforsaken reason. Yeah,
0: I don't even I don't even want to talk about it. That's honestly. all I'm saying. Um but anyway, thank you guys for joining us for yeah. our first episode back. Thank you for also bearing with us. Um, as we're, you know, taking the training wheels off, learning how to ride that bike again, <laughs> you know. Um, So you guys know where to find us. We are on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We are on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. Until next time.
1: Bye babes.